Well, this morning is Mission Sunday. Uh, we started this practice a few months ago, and a few months back we also shared with you um, some of the missions that we are partnering and supporting uh, as a church uh, family, and one of those was Petra Missions, and we have an opportunity this morning uh, to hear from the founder of Petra Missions, um, who over 20 years ago, him and his wife uh, took that step of obedience to, to go overseas or along the sea uh, down to Nicaragua, and uh, to be able to start a church there. And the Lord has multiplied that ministry greatly over the years and uh, in faithfulness as those who serve. And Jared and his wife, Tanya, have moved to Bozeman um, five years ago now, about five years ago now, and uh, have planted a church there as well under the Petra Missions uh, banner. And so at this time, I would invite him to come and share with you about uh, the Petra Missions, but also to share um, a message from God's Word this morning. So I want to welcome Jared uh, here this morning. Well, I really have to scan because it's such a wide building. Um, but it's really nostalgic for me to be here back in Prescott after so many years being gone. Um, the culture in Montana is so similar, and that's why I love it. Tanya and I love uh, living there and what God has called us to do and having the mission base there. Um, and really, the, the culture is the same with, uh, I, I, I was actually talking to my son, who's a student at, at GCU down in Phoenix studying Christian ministry. I said, you know what, I'm going to see Mark and Heather. And he's like, oh yeah, Mark, we shot AK-47s um, with him. And that's, that's the only thing he remembered when he was a little boy. was like, yeah, he's the quintessential Arizona guy. Dirt bikes, guns, you name it, construction, old Ford truck. Um, and to get to Montana after 15 years in Nicaragua, and it was a big culture shock. But, but God, obviously, his confirmation on our lives there was so obvious. But we do love the culture around the world and even how God is using a bilingual church plant of all places in Montana. And now who would have thought that? But God is growing it significantly, and God is doing a great work among us. And so we are very thankful. But I do have a, a big role as uh, not only pastoring a bilingual church plant, but also directing the mission uh, both there and in Nicaragua and in Colombia. Um, so the task is big, but God has given me that burden and that passion. My wife's name is Tanya. We have four kids. Josiah, who I just mentioned, is uh, studying at GCU. Isaiah um, is our second. He's 17. Uh, Lord willing, heading to Moody Bible Institute. And then my third is Gabriela. She is 15. Um, in high school, and then Jeremiah is an eighth grader, and he is 13. So I know Tanya would always love to be with uh, you all in our church in Bozeman, and the churches in Nicaragua and Colombia send their greetings. They are praying for you this morning, and they are praying for this message. So I'd like to begin by also praying and committing this time to the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you that you are so good and so kind, that you have given us your word, that is your truth, Father, that it is your power, Lord Jesus, that it never returns void. Lord, I pray that you'd use this time mightily in our hearts and lives, and that, Father, Lord Jesus, we would truly hear from you, not the voice of a man, but the voice from your Holy Spirit through your word. Please, Lord, take away all distractions, Lord, anything that is burdening our hearts right now, that you would just please remove it, Lord, that everyone in this room would be able to truly rest in Christ at this moment. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Well, as I mentioned, with Petra National Ministries, and we do have a display board in the back and our little ministry booklets, and you're free to take those, as many as you would like. And there's also a prayer card, a picture of our family. We'd really appreciate your prayers for our family and for the church planning work. And I want to be very clear in this morning as we're going to talk about the Great Commission and missions in general, but specifically about discipleship and secondly about discernment. And that word discernment is not being talked about much in our churches these days. And that is a very sad reality because we all know that in the end times, there will be many that turn away from the faith. That many will not be faithful to Christ. And we've already seen that at a mass level. But I want you to please turn with me in your Bibles in Luke 6, 46 through 49. As I'm sure this is a very familiar passage to most of you. And no one is going to dis disagree on the Great Commission, that it is vital, it is a command of Scripture, the last command Jesus gave before he returned to the Father. But a big disagreement is all through evangelicalism about how to build God's kingdom. Jesus says this in Luke 6, 46 through 49, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. 
He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who had heard and not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation and the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed and the ruin of that house was great. Does it matter how you build God's kingdom? It matters tremendously. Sadly, most of American evangelicalism, and I would say the large percentage of it, has not built God's kingdom according to God's word. They have built God's kingdom according to their own precepts, according to their own value systems, according to their own glory. The CEO mentality has brought much destruction to the U.S. church. We automatically think that programs are the way to go and you will never see programs win or fight any spiritual warfare battles. Programs do nothing to build God's kingdom. You can say, well, we have children's programs. We have adult programs or high school programs. There is no place in the world that has invested more millions and millions of dollars in our young people with buildings, activities, camps, you name it, and where are those kids today? By sophomore year of college, 60% of them leave the church. By senior year, almost upwards of 90% do not go back to the church. We think if we just throw enough money at it, it, it will solve the problem. If we have the greatest, um, eloquent, well-known speaker, it will grow God's kingdom. We fall into these lies continually because it feeds our ego. It feeds our pride that, oh, we go to the biggest church in the valley, well, my pastor is such and such that's on the radio all across the United States. This is direct blasphemy and sin against God, and yet we accept it as the norm because it's just like the Texas mentality. I, and what a man said, I've never met so many people so proud of nothing. And that's true, all the Texas bumper stickers. This is, well, we're the biggest state. And therefore, there's reason to gloat, to have pride on. And that program mentality is the reason why kids leave the church. Because the parents think, well, I'll just institutionalize my children into the church and into Christianity. And it's like osmosis. One day it'll just stick. If parents aren't discipling their children, they're not going to follow Jesus when they're adults. It's not going to happen. That's not what the church's job is to do. The, the elders, leaders of a church is to equip and train the parents to what? Disciple their children, amen? But it's not a program mentality. It's not a CEO mentality. So we really have to define what a disciple of Christ is. And all of us know the Great Commission. But, but here's also what is interesting. In the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, after his first miracle, he says something extremely profound that many times we just simply gloss over. And it's in John 223 through 25. I'm just going to read it quickly, and we're going to go through a lot of scripture this morning. But this is what John says. Now, when he was in Jerusalem in the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about him, about man, for he himself knew what was in man. This is the very beginning of Jesus' ministry after his first miracle, and he's saying he trusts no one. This is not necessarily taught in our seminaries and our Bible colleges, but Jesus is giving us a very big clue, a very big teaching about what ministry is all about. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you say, I believe in Jesus, I received Jesus in my heart, I've repented of my sins, he's now my Lord and Savior. You can't separate that from the Great Commission. I mean, if you say that you're saved and you have no interest in the Great Commission, then I highly doubt you actually are saved. And that's just not my teaching. That is all through church history from the church fathers. You look at Charles Spurgeon's sermons, and he talked about that very issue. If you have no heart for the lost, then you yourself do not know what you've been saved from and probably are still lost. 
this idea of what a disciple is, about what it means to follow Christ, it, it means something that I can't institutionalize. I'll give you a quick example. And, and, and most of the people that really know me know this is normal for me, so I'm not doing some special message just because I'm here at Canyon Bible. This is the normal way that I preach and teach. Do you know how rare it is for a, a large-sized church, and say, for example, they have six or seven pastors on their staff, do you realize in the United States, the senior pastor or the lead pastor, typically you will never ever, even if you go through thousands of churches, will never ever take the time to disciple his staff. Adultery going on in the pastoral staff for months, if not years, and the senior pastor has no idea. And I can give you examples. Because people don't ask, how are you really doing? That lead pastor, senior pastor, needs to be going into his pastor's homes, need to be meeting with his wife and his children, asking, how are you really doing? And they're doing that with each other, amen? Because that's discipleship, that's being a mentor. But it's like, oh no, we don't do that. The seminaries prepare our pastors for our churches. Well, the last time I checked and read through the word of God, I never see that in the word of God, that an institution trains and equips people for the ministry, I thought it's pretty clear that Jesus says it is through discipleship. But do parents really love their children enough to disciple them? Sending them off to church or to youth group isn't truly loving your children. It's part of it. But having those hard conversations with your child, and I've had plenty of them with my children, and my wife as well, and sometimes she was better at it than I was. Confessing, son, I know what you did was terribly wrong. You know what you did was terribly wrong. But it's not just you that needs Jesus and the cross. I do too. Mom does too. Son, we have to have the cross. I'm the example in the family. You can't even look at me. You must get your eyes off me. You must, your eyes off of other church people. Your eyes have to be on Jesus Christ. And that's what true discernment is, is it not? And this is what we're lacking, that people are so brainwashed in our cultures that so many people in church are believing what our media tells them. I don't believe anything the media tells me. There is a serious problem in our hearts that we don't have the discernment to realize how many false workers there are around the world. There's false brethren, there's false pastors, there's false teachers, there's false missionaries, and please hear me on this last one. There are a lot of false national pastors. I've seen the American church have such lack of a discernment that if someone has darker skin, is very poor and smiles a lot and brings them a chicken when they're visiting that country or they bring them a present, they think that person is the most godly person on planet earth because of how poor they are and they're attending the church. When the missionaries, the true missionaries, know the reality of who those people are. This need for discernment is so critical because we can't just pretend like the elephant in the room doesn't exist in our churches, amen? It exists. And God calls preachers and pastors to explain rightly the word of God because it is very clear in the notes you have them. Beware of false brethren, Paul says. Beware of false teachers and prophets Beware of angels of light or those super apostles. We basically have three groups of people we need to be really concerned about. And in Hebrews 5.14 says this, but solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to distinguish between good and evil. Those are for the mature and we have to be practicing 
to gain discernment to know who is real and authentic and who is not. And I was told by an older missionaries, Jared, if you're not, if you have not getting, gotten burned yet on the mission field, you're not prepared yet for the mission field. And they told me that while I was in Nicaragua. That stuck with me. Because in a room this size, in a group this size, chances are every single one of you have been betrayed at one point in your life. Amen? Raise your hand. You've been betrayed by someone. And, and it, there is so much has been written about that that people have said that betrayal is probably worse than the death of someone. Because you can never imagine doing to that person whom you loved what they did to you. That you actually care and love that person still, even after their deep betrayal. But what hurts so bad is you know in your heart they could care less about you. And when you realize they never loved you to begin with, because if they did, they would have never done what they did to you. Because when someone truly loves, they sacrifice everything for you. Betrayal is one of the hardest things to forgive. These are texts of scriptures that we need to be well aware of and the battles that we're actually facing, how deep and wide the spiritual warfare goes. Paul says this in Galatians 2.4, Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. Philippians 3.2, Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. Paul is calling him dogs. Does that sound really spiritual? Or is he being pretty harsh, pretty direct? There are three, those three groups, and I want to group them like this, and your notes are a little bit different in their order, but the first group, beware of false brethren. Those are the landmines. The second group, the false teachers and the prophets, those are the mortars. An average mortar is about 300 millimeters. In World War II, they created mortars up to 900 millimeters. That's how big they were. And, this, and the last group, the angels of light, the super apostles, those are what we could call the atomic bombs or the nuclear bombs. Pastor Jared, what are examples of those nuclear bombs that have gone off and even recently? Do you all know the name K.P. Yohannan? He wrote a very, very well known book, sold millions of copies called Revolution and World Missions. I read that when I was about 19, 20 years of age. Have any of you heard of that book? It had significant impact in world missions because what he taught is basically we shouldn't be focusing on supporting the missionaries so much. We need to focus just mainly on supporting national pastors and funneling everything to them to have massive outreaches into the world. And K.P. Yohannan started the mission Gospel for Asia. He is an Indian national. And I'm going to talk a little bit about Rabbi Zacharias as well. We have two East Indian men who have such significant evil in their lives that it's very hard to believe that they ever were saved to begin with. They were what Paul describes as angels of light. K.P. Yohannan, which is a massive, Gospel for Asia is a massive organization. In 2015, it was stripped of its membership in the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. In 2019, GFA settled a 37 million lawsuit over the misuse of funds. And earlier this year, a 100 million lawsuit was filed against GFA Canadian partner. Not only that, India's income tax department last week had raided the residents and offices of Gospel for Asia, founder and president K.P. Yohannan, and his Believer's Church looking for evidence of tax fraud. That's according to a statement issued by the Ministry of Finance and, Mil and Multiply Indian Media Outlets. The church's United States-based partner, Gospel for Asia, also headed, headed by Yohannan, called reports of unethical behavior thinly sourced and unsubstantiated. The group noted in a statement that GFA is a separate legal entity operated under U.S. law and has no offices in India. 
According to the Christian Post, Gospel for Asia has been the subject of controversy for nearly a decade. What KP Yohannan owns, even in Texas and other places, is incredible to think about the amount of money that has been embezzled through him. Rabbi Zacharias, as you know, was considered the greatest uh, Christian apologist of our age. How many of you used to listen to him or read books by him? Many of us. That's, that's who I grew up listening to and reading books from. And most of you probably already know that he lived a life of immense sexual perversion and corruption. I do not believe Rabbi Zacharias is in heaven right now. I believe he is in hell. And I know from people, older men in the ministry, that watched this, th- these things going on for years. I asked one of those people, is my uncle, who is a very godly man, a pastor in Florida, and now he's retired. I asked him, was there any signs of repentance in Rabbi Zachary's life before he passed away? And he said, what we know of right now, absolutely none. And I won't go into detail with what he exactly did most of his life, but it is very grievous. Would you consider people like K.P. Yohannan and Rabbi Zacharias nuclear bombs, atomic bombs to the church of Jesus Christ? I would certainly include them as that group of people. I've had two of those individuals on a much smaller scale, two national pastors in that category. Why is this so important? India is filled with sexual perversion, one of the most perverse countries in the world. Missionaries know that. Other national pastors that are truly men of God are going to know that about themselves, their own people group. And those are the ones that need to give accountability. Those are the ones to to really say, if you don't know the language, you don't know the culture, you cannot discern what's really going on. So this is gonna sound extreme, but this is 20 plus years of experience of major church planning, leading hundreds of people to Christ, training elders and deacons and small group leaders and evangelists. And I'm telling you, you cannot trust any nationals, if you do not know the language and the culture that they speak, if you have not walked with them for years, you do not know who they really are. And Tanya and I walked through those years, and even though we knew the language and the culture, they still, several national pastors, were able to deceive us for many years and to betray us very deeply. This goes to show us a major principle I've seen time and time again. Unless the Holy Spirit reveals who the false sheep are, who the false brethren are, who the super apostles or those angels of light are, can you and I ever know who they are? That's why the church in Antioch, before sending Paul and Barnabas, before sending out the workers for the gospel ministry, they prayed and they fasted Here's the amazing thing, and God has convicted me over this many times, that when Jesus was going to pick the disciples, what did he do? He prayed all night. This is Jesus. God himself prayed to the Father to know who the disciples were going to be. Why is that so important? We need to be careful to use discernment through the Holy Spirit by prayer and fasting as the Anak believers did in Acts 13. We should not ever use our discernment according to the flesh as Joshua did with the Gibeonites. And most of you know that story. He did not seek the Lord, but relied on his great spiritual, spiritual military success and experience to make a very painful mistake for the entire nation. He did not seek the Lord, and those two spies, those two men, deceived him to make a covenant with them and it, said, and it says in Scripture in Joshua that it pained Israel. It was a thorn in their side. This is why discernment matters. And it only matters truly to the ones that have been deeply 
betrayed because your radar goes up, amen? If a mother knows that one of her children was abused by a neighbor or someone in the family even, that mother from that time on is not gonna trust anyone, is she? I don't. One of our good friends, he was the medical doctor of the U.S. Embassy in Nicaragua. They both grew up on the mission field. We were friends with both of them. She grew up in Papua Nueva Guinea. And most of her adult struggles and what she shared with, with us was because an older missionary sexually molested her for years on the missionary camp compound. See, the church needs to know what really goes on. That many times pedophile of anyone that has that tendency is going to look to be a missionary. Why? Because they don't have the laws that we do here. They can hide it much easier overseas. And even if they get caught, there may not be a legal system to prosecute them. And we dealt with that in Nicaragua. And that discernment with one young man in particular, a young family of three little girls. Tanya, I don't trust him. There's something really odd about him. There's something in my spirit that I don't trust in him. Years later, Tanya met the father-in-law at a grocery store in Managua, Nicaragua, and said, what happened to him? And he explained what happened. He molested all three daughters plus other Nicaraguan children. See, God sends his prophets, and I use that term loosely, okay? I don't want the MacArthurite peoples to start judging and condemning me right now. The prophets of God are the ones simply that means discernment. They're discerning the times. We live in evil times. There are evil people abounding, and it requires discernment in our discipleship and the more you are burned by other people and you truly forgive you're going to grow in discernment not bitterness amen so the ones that are super bitter that i can't stand the church i'm never going back to church again after the hypocrisy and the evil and the betrayal that i've seen in the church i'm never going back well it's because you don't love and trust jesus because you're trusting in man that's why you have that view and that bitterness is eating you alive but you, you are seeing your sin is much less than the sins of other people, and God sees it as equal. We are all sinners in need of redemption, amen? This idea that we have to have, and there, there's main, the main dudes are all through the Bible, from Moses, Abraham, Gideon, Joshua. We know that, the Apostle Paul. And God has his ordained workers and leaders and visionaries, and that's fine, but if Jesus said he did not trust in any man, that we know that Jesus only trusted in the Father and only obeyed the Father, how many of these super apostles, how many of these celebrity pastors do we have to see fail in utter heresy and wickedness for us to stop trusting in man? It has happened so much and it's continuing every day. Stephen Furtick in North Carolina, Elevation Church, he's a total heretic. And yet look at the tens of thousands that follow him. Andy Stanley. I loved listening and still do love listening to Charles Stanley. How many of you love that? Man, he's a good teacher. His marriage was a wreck and his son is a heretic. That's a problem, amen? Because you can be the greatest Bible teacher in the world, and for many years he was. The most listened to sermons in the entire world was Charles Stanley. But yet, hear me out, please, church. I want to see all of your eyes right now. His wife was living in an apartment separate down the road for years. Did he take the time to disciple his wife and his children? And was his accusation, the accusation from his wife correct, that he's married to the ministry, not to me? 
Was it right what she did? Absolutely not. But did she have validity in what she accused him of? She did. There is a weight on me as a pastor, as a missions director, as a missionary, as a trainer of pastors overseas. I feel that weight every day. But it is not near the weight and the fear of God I feel of the pressing need to disciple and pastor my wife and my children. And I've weeped, and my wife has weeped over our children. And one of our children being abused in Nicaragua. God's power, his love, the gospel, is greater and more powerful than any abuse any sin ever done against you or anything you have done. It is more powerful than any betrayal, any wickedness that you could possibly imagine ever done to you or ever will be done. God's power and his love and his amazing redemptive power to take evil and turn it into good is something that no theologian, no man on this planet can ever explain to you because it is a supernatural act of God. That is the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. God did that in my life. So what does it mean to disciple and and complete the great commission? What does it mean to have discernment? It means going through the fires of betrayal. Would all of you, most of you at least, agree with me that going through a deep betrayal of a family member of a close brother of 15, 25 years is worse than having a physical disease? Raise your hand if you agree with that statement. Because we can take a lot of physical pain, amen? We have a lot of medicine too to help. But the betrayal of a loved one goes to the core of our being, to our soul, a place where physical Illnesses and diseases don't go. That point, that specific depth of our soul is where most of the spiritual warfare is going to take place. That I believe in God's goodness. I'm going to be faithful to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and disciple men and women into the kingdom of God and walking in the kingdom of God despite the fact that these national pastors and these other American pastors have severely betrayed and been corrupted, corrupt with us. That is the point of God testing us. Are you going to look to man or are you going to look to only to me? Do you hear me, church? And this cult of, and my doctrine would probably be exactly the same as John MacArthur, but this cult of worshiping him as the pastor pope has got to stop. It doesn't matter that he says it. It matters what God's word says. And there is such a thing as priesthood of believers, amen? The Spirit, the Holy Spirit illuminates scripture for us, amen? Do you believe in that? It's like, no, I don't really believe in that doctrine, even though it's clearly taught in scripture. I gotta go to MacArthur to find out what we're supposed to do. Wow, such idolatry. We love, we love to idolatrize men, don't we? Because we're not living true faith, lives of trust in Jesus Christ. Because I can see the man in front and I can follow him, but Jesus is invisible. I can't see him, so it's really hard to walk by faith. So it's better for me to put my focus and trust in man. I'm really thankful when John Piper talks about his struggles in needing marriage counsel. I'm very thankful when he talked about the rebellious time of his son and how that deeply hurt their family and how he cried and battled through that. Are you thankful for that transparency? So if a pastor, I don't care who it is, I don't care if he's written 100 books, if a pastor is not transparent in front of the pulpit with his own struggles and his own needs for the blood of Jesus Christ, you run from that guy. You run from that church. He is not trustworthy. Because if I'm truly redeemed by the blood of Christ, does it matter what you think of me? Does it matter what you know about me? I'm not talking about hanging out dirty laundry. I'm talking about we have to speak in that which edifies from the pulpit, 
But if I am truly redeemed by the blood of Christ, I should be a pastor, preacher, Bible teacher that is very transparent. I need the blood of Jesus Christ just as much as you do, if not more. Because I've studied the word for years and still struggle with so much sin and failure in my own life that has to clearly be communicated, does it not? So a true kingdom worker must be, of course, a disciple of Christ, know, must know what it means to disciple others, and it must, he must have discernment, and lastly, must be de- dedicated to Christ. And what does that mean? That dependability is so critical. And if you are faithful to Christ, that does not mean that you go to church once a month. That doesn't mean like, oh, I show up twice a month at church. I'm pretty dedicated to that church. No, you're not. Going to church every Sunday even and not missing a Sunday, does that truly mean you're dedicated to Jesus Christ? Not at all. Because the Great Commission is to make disciples, amen? And I see a lot of older people in this congregation. Praise God for that. Because you have so much wisdom all the younger marrieds need, don't they? And, so, and, I, and this, is, this is the common thing I've heard in 20 years of ministry. Older people think, well, I've made a lot of mistakes in life. I don't really have anything to offer these young families in our church. I'm thinking, you're the perfect person to talk to those people. Look at what God's done in your life. You need to share that with them. In Titus, it says, the older are the disciple, the younger, amen? That's a biblical command. And when you do that, you're going to experience such a joy, and it's difficult, but the peace of God is going to be so powerful when you choose to disciple those younger people in church. He says, well, we have a great youth group, and that's what a lot of churches fall back on. And I guarantee you that great youth group is going to produce very little in those teenagers' lives, and the statistics prove it. But what if you had a group of high schoolers that was about 30 and the, there was people in the church, older people, that took every single one of those kids aside to disciple them. Then you're going to have kids that grow up to love Jesus and follow him. Not all, of course, but a great majority of them will because that discipleship happened. Do you believe, church, that that is critical and that is so significant for our churches to understand what true discipleship is? How do we go about and how, what steps do we take today? Number one, mature disciples of Christ are intentional in everything they do. They're intentional to disciple their wives, their children, and those in the church. They're intentional to be used as divine instruments to train, equip, and minister to others. They're intentional to protect the flock of God from false workers. If we are not intentional in what we're doing, we are following status quo We are following the emotions, but we are truly not living by faith. Because it takes intentionality. If I know that I'm going to take my son or daughter to the doctor or to the dentist, and it takes 30 minutes to get there, those 30 minutes am I going to use to disciple my child or simply to play music or talk about vain things that really don't matter? Those 30 minutes with your child matter, don't they? Those nighttime conversations matter. And for you grandparents, it matters that you continue to disciple. The disciples is going to look different because of the age of your children. They're grown men. But disciple them and disciple your grandchildren by, most importantly, crying out on your knees before the Lord for their souls. That is what it means to be intentional, does it not? And I do not believe you can truly build God's kingdom without that intentionality. And that everything flows from that. And if any of you have detoured from the faith because of the false brethren, when Jesus, the apostle Paul, all the disciples warned us that they were going to exist, we have not paid attention sufficiently to the word of God and Paul's warnings. Beware, beware, constantly, 2 Peter 2, 1, but false prophets also appeared among you, just as there was also false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying 
the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. And 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. I am thankful for our Petra board. We have pastors, elders, businessmen on that board. And one of them, who's been our dear friend for almost 20 years, and and this is to me, this is the irony, it's it's sort of humorous, but he's an ex-Navy federal investigator. So it's like, that's the perfect guy to have on your board. The older I get, and I don't know if I'm considered pretty old. I'm 46. Two days ago, Tanya and I were thinking, wait, how old are we? We forgot. It's like, how do you forget how old you are? Well, that just shows, right? The older I get, the more I see the value and the importance, and I cherish and I'm grateful for accountability. Accountability and discipleship, please hear me, church, go hand in hand. You remember Ronald Reagan, trust but verify? Love that saying. Trust but verify. We all need to do that in our hearts and lives, amen? So if you're not hiding anything, you're gonna want that accountability, right? Ask me the hard questions because I don't trust myself. Actually, I scare myself. And I still do. I still scare myself thinking I, I, I can't trust myself. So the older you get in ministry, the closer you get with Christ, are you gonna trust yourself less or more? I'll I'll put it a different way. The closer you get to Christ, are you gonna see more sin in your life or less sin? Be careful. It's a tricky question. If I spend more time in the evangelical world, I'm gonna see less sin. If I spend more time with Jesus, I'm gonna see a lot more sin. Because me, compared to Jesus, he's going to expose a lot in me. If I compare myself to other pastors, other missionaries, I can get away with being blind to a lot of sin in my life, right? But that, praise God, that's why God gives us godly wives. To humble us and put us in our place. Amen? How many of you are going to amen to that? And as, as strong a personality as I have, type, type A personality, and my wife, and a lot of you know Tanya, sweetest, most compassionate person in the world. And she has this innate, incredible, God-given, Holy Spirit-driven ability to put me in my place in five seconds. Other people get, and they've said this, sometimes you know, people get scared of you or they're nervous around you. Well, my wife isn't. Because her eyes are on Jesus, not on me. You see the difference. And some of you could have suffered deep betrayals in ways and far too long at your own fault because you put your eyes in man instead of Jesus Christ and you deserved what you suffered. And you must have had to go through that to learn your lesson to never do it again. Everyone thought Rabbi Zacharias was one of the most godly men ever in the past 100, 200 years of our nation. Yes or no? No one knew what he actually did. They started, the staff started investigating several months before he died. Then after he died, the entire world knew. Think, how could that? It shocked everyone, amen? Everyone was in such a disbelief. That's why it's better to read all the dead people, right? That have been proven through hundreds of years. That's the guys I read. So you know I read a lot of the Puritans. And I'm not throwing this out here for any reason to slander in any way, shape, or form. But if we understand sin rightly, that means R.C. Sproul, MacArthur, What happens after, well, we know Sprawl and his record is impeccable still after his passing several years ago. You don't know that about MacArthur yet until he's dead and you have the history. If there's any whistleblowers, they're going to come out a lot of times after the person dies. 
What I'm saying is not that I believe anything is going to happen. My point is not that. My point is to learn from John 2 when Jesus said he did not trust himself in any man and he is God himself, then that is a direct lesson for our church, amen? And that is not creating an oppressive, legalistic type accountability. That's not right either. But it's simply going to scripture and understanding that, and and I want to end with this, is Hebrews 12. One through two says says what? I'm just going to read it out. Actually, go to verse three. Therefore, since we have had such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us rid ourselves of every obstacle in the sin which so easily entangles us, and let's run with endurance, endurance the race that is set before us, looking only at Jesus. Do we need to underline that, church? Because I think people just don't read that. Or does it say, look only to Jesus plus MacArthur, Piper, Sproul, and you're good? What I read in the text is it says, look only to Jesus. Do you all have the same Bible? So, so possibly, it, it, it's a possibility. I'm not saying it's actually true, but it is possible that because we're in Arizona, so close to California, it's possibly there's a lot of people here that need to repent of idolatrizing MacArthur and committing that sin against Jesus Christ. Because the last time I checked, he put his pants on the same way you and I do. Right? It, or does he, he have a sainthood status that you and I just don't have? From last time I checked, he needs the same amount of the blood of Jesus Christ that you and I have. We have that same need, do we not? Praise God, he's a faithful minister of Jesus Christ to this day. But I do not worship and trust any other man. I go to the word of God, and from God's word, my faith and trust is in Jesus Christ alone. And if anyone here needs to repent, I encourage you to do that. Did I plan to bring that up? No. But I do believe that it is an epidemic and it needs to be dealt with, church. Number two, if you are not intentionally discipling, pastoring men, your wife, that's a problem. Here's the biggest excuse I've heard from men, but you don't understand, Pastor Jared, my wife knows the Bible so much better than I do because she's at home with Beth Moore and I'm out working 60 hours a week. I don't have the time to study the Bible, so whatever she says trumps me because she knows the Bible so well. For one, she's not in the right Bible studies because a godly woman won't do that. She will pray and trust, but she will not use the fact that he's a faithful provider for their finances while she has so much more time to read the Bible at home and use that to dominate him and be the leader of the family. If a husband allows that to happen, that's his own fault. Does that make sense? Because he is the leader of the home. He's the one given the responsibility to be the priest of his home. And God will honor even with all his failures. And and even, here's the amazing thing, even statistics show no matter what the father does or doesn't do, the children follow the father more than the mother's spiritual disciplines. Those are what the statistics show. Fathers, please do not belittle your value, and your importance. Just because you don't understand everything about theology and the Bible doesn't mean that you're not the man for the job because you are. And God values you. God treats you and sees you as precious in his sight. You are valuable 110%. Men, you are not a failure just because you don't have all the spiritual answers. You were given the call by God to lead your wife and to lead your children and to lead the church of Jesus Christ. Amen? And that is an exciting challenge. And what I know from women, and heard this for so many years, women, wives, are dying for their men to lead them and to disciple them. Amen? And men think so many lies. No way. My wife sees all the evil and sin in in me. She's not going to want me to pastor and disciple her. You don't know women. You don't know women at all if that's what you really believe. Women are dying to be pastored and shepherded by their husbands. Even though they know all the dirty laundry, literally and metaphorically, 
they long to see a woman, a wife, is going to feel the most loved, precious, tender, and valued when the husband seeks to shepherd her soul. Pastor Jerry, are you saying that that's the deepest way that you can love your wife as a believer? It is the deepest way. Thank you all for your support of Nicaragua. We do need your love and support and prayers and financial giving. We can't do it without churches like this getting involved and praying for us. And as I close in prayer, we have a sign-up sheet in the back of our prayer letter. If anyone would like to receive that newsletter, probably be sending out another one this week. Please feel free to put your name and your email address on that to, to see what God's doing in Nicaragua, Colombia, and in the bilingual church plant and mission in Montana. But I want to close in this time of prayer and asking you that not just be a, a prayer out of, out of routine, but if there's anything you need to confess before the Lord at this moment, feel free to do that if God is touching your heart in any area of your life. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you for your word and your truth. I pray, Lord Jesus, that our hearts are fully committed to you alone, Jesus that we don't trust man, but we're not bitter against man. We're not cruel against man. We don't wall ourselves off against man. But Lord, our eyes are fixed on you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So Lord, I pray, Father, that you, O Lord Jesus, would keep us faithful to the task as you are faithful to us. And that, Father, that we know that the only one that is never going to fail us, that is never going to reject us, that is never going to forsake us, is you, Jesus. Our hope is fixed on you. Lord, thank you, Father, because you are perfect in every way. And we could not ask for a God more perfect than you are. We could not ask ever for a God who loves us more than we could ever possibly love ourselves. And so, Lord, our hope and our trust is only in you. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.